must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It is about being in teams. It is about leading teams. It is about getting the most out of your teams. My name is Mark Johnson. I should probably pre-record this, but I do it live every time. And I am here live with Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach and uh, head of sport and co-curricular at our shared workplace. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. I was lifting the curtain a little bit there, getting people to uh, know what making a podcast entails. Definitely, yes. It's uh, hard work and toil week after week, but we enjoy it. We love it. And, and if, if we're going to be positive about anything when we're stuck at our desks in front of our screens constantly, it's that uh, we've still kept the vibe going. Absolutely. And that we get to speak to wonderful guests every week, learn something new and spend a bit of time getting to know someone who maybe, you know, we, we don't know so well or that we've seen across social media or, you know, LinkedIn or wherever it may be um, or come across on a course or a conference and that we want to kind of know more about. So, yeah, loving it. Now, this is one of this is one of my favorite kind of ways of finding a guest so far, actually, because the guest we've got on today, uh, his name is uh, Gareth Johnson. Gareth was uh, someone who was recommended to us by someone we had on the podcast who themselves was someone recommended to us by someone we had on the podcast. So uh, this is a this is like a third level inception guest ripple effect. Indeed. Uh, So after this one, Gareth, if you could recommend someone that we could have on and keep this chain going, that would that would be amazing. Yes, please. Uh, Gareth is (laughs) Gareth is the founder of an educational consultancy called GRJ uh, Education and He's worked with uh, some of the people that we've had on Matt King Stace's uh, episode, mentions him a little bit. So we're really excited to get on to the microphone with him and to talk in more detail about what it is he does and uh, what it is he believes education should be about. So we are hugely privileged to have on the podcast today to uh, introduce everyone to Gareth Johnson. Gareth is the leader and founder of GRJ Education. Uh, They are a leadership development program for education and I think beyond. But I'll I'll ask you, Gareth, if you wouldn't mind to kind of introduce yourself. What have you done to get you here and uh, a little bit more about yourself? Well, thank you both for the introduction and thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm just going to start by telling you a little bit about my professional career today. I started teaching mathematics in 1997 at the Manchester Grammar School and I also coached some some rugby there. I then moved down to Millfield School in Somerset after seven years and became the head of mathematics and also coached some rugby. Spent four wonderful years in Somerset and then I relocated back to Yorkshire, my home, into senior leadership, academic senior leadership at Asheville College in Harrogate. I worked my way up through the ranks Uh, and I became academic deputy, which was the post I held for five years up until January 2017. I think a a benchmark for me was perhaps 2010. I had my my first dabble with leadership of what was then called professional development. We decided as a group of deputy heads in the Northeast that actually we wanted to develop our own leadership development programme. 
which would not only catch up with what other regions were doing, but potentially start to lead the way. And I've been leading that ever since 2014, and it really has gone from strength to strength. January 2017 was also a benchmark for me. I was under quite a lot of pressure at the time to look at the conventional route from deputy headship into headship, but it was something that I didn't really want to do, if I was honest with myself. I, I resisted that call. I was not afraid really to be honest and say that I wanted to do things a little bit differently. And I was fortunate because Asheville at the time were looking to expand overseas. And so I was given the task of doing more leadership development in the UK, but also establishing Asheville International Kindergarten, which was on the beautiful Lanto Island in Hong Kong and literally starting that from scratch. That was a real challenge, not least because I've never traveled before. So leaving my family for the first time was certainly going to be difficult. Secondly, I knew nothing about EYFS. Uh, and thirdly, I was tasked with doing every aspect of developing this business. So legals, international employment law, contract negotiations, risk management, and, and also, you know, Hong Kong entered into crisis management mode three months prior to the UK yeah. when COVID struck. So I was tasked with the leadership of that well before it had even come to the UK, which was an interesting situation to be in. Summer 2020 was a difficult time for me. I lost my dad to cancer uh, and that was hard to bear. And it really focused me, if I'm honest, in terms of where I wanted to go with next steps. So after 23 wonderful years working in schools, I decided to set up my own business, which is GRJ Education. It started formally on October the 1st, 2020. And really it's a continuation and growth of all the leadership development in the UK and beyond. It covers academic, pastoral, co-curricular leadership, mainly in independent schools in the Northeast, Northwest, East Midlands, and from January, 2021, also in Scotland mm. via the Scottish Council of Independent Schools. We've got 44 schools with us this year, and that's growing. And we anticipate that the total number of colleagues we will be working with or will have worked with in 2020-21 is 140. So it's a wonderful place to be, and it's something I massively, massively enjoy doing. I thought I'd rewind back a little bit further, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Go for I'm it. I'm talk about something which not many people know about me, and it's music and my relationship with music as a kid growing up. I also thought it would be relevant because it's rarely discussed at the same level as sport or education in the context of leadership and teamwork. Right. And it's only recently that I, I reflected on my life as a teenager growing up into a young man as a musician and how that has implicitly molded me, I think, into who I am uh, and how I do things today. I think it will resonate with, with folk listening as well, whether they're leaders or aspiring leaders in education or otherwise. Up to the age of 15, I, I juggled rugby and music together. So I played uh, rugby at a, a good standard and I played tuba. And with that came the stereotype, Tubby the Tuber, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> that was a difficult place to be, but I decided to persevere with it because 
actually I realized that there weren't many people out there who were playing the tuba very well. But by the time I got to 15, it became a problem because I was going out and playing rugby on a Saturday and playing hard and then having to play again in an important concert or two over the remainder of the weekend, often with a bloody lip, broken ribs and a twisted back. So that was a problem and I'd identified it as a problem that wasn't going to go away. It was probably going to get worse. I was part of a testosterone fueled Boys State Grammar School. So the decision between sport and music was always going to be a difficult one. And I chose music. I chose to pursue my love for playing the tuba. And obviously this wasn't the norm. And two years later, I also chose Manchester University over the conventional Oxford and Cambridge route for, for boys from our school. And again, that was a music related decision. Yeah. I started to make some progress locally. I was playing for some good bands. I successfully auditioned for the National Youth Band of Great Britain, which is a, a collection of young people from all over uh, Great Britain, the best brass musicians of the land, you might say. And I felt I was really going places. But then I got to my first course, my first NYBB course, that's the National Youth Band of Great Britain. And I realized very quickly I'd gone from being this local superstar, if you like, to someone who was very much bottom of the pecking order. And I remember one very distinct example of that. They were holding what I think was called a Junior Young Musician of the Year competition, which was to establish the best, very competitive environment. And to qualify for that, you had to pass a qualifying round, which was by section. So there will be the, the, uh, the high section, the middle section, and the low section, you might call it. I was in the low section, the base section. And there was only me in the competition because all the other guys in my section were much older than me. So I figured that I might just qualify because there was only me in it. And I did okay. I, I, I played okay. I thought my solo went okay. But then when the result was very publicly announced, it was that I'd come second out of one. <laughs> and yeah, this was a real problem. I mean, <laughs> talk about knocking the stuffing out of someone. Uh, oh, at a time when I was a relatively confident young man and I'd literally gone from 100 miles an hour to zero in a, in a millisecond. Uh, very, very harsh. And it's something that's lived with me ever since because that was my first experience of failure. And it was a very public experience of failure. And it put me, if I'm honest, certainly for three to four weeks in quite a dark place. I didn't want to play tuba again. The love had been ripped from under me really. And you know, everything, everything had just gone. And of course, in those days, the advice was, well, just dust yourself off and you know, get yourself back on track and, and, and you'll be fine. And I couldn't. I couldn't even pick up the instrument for the best part of a month. But then I gradually realized that if I went back to basics and perhaps just started working where I'd started from again and went for those small gains, tiny steps on a daily basis, it was the equivalent of physical training for three hours a day. I might just get back to where, where I was in terms of confidence and ability. By the time I got to the next course, which was three months later, I'd won the most improved player award, which was very public. It was on the stage at St. George's Hall in Bradford, which is my home turf. So that was extremely, uh, extremely personal and, and a proud moment for me. 
And within 12 months from that, I, I got the, the top seat in the band. This is the National Youth Band of Great Britain again, uh, meaning that I led the bass section. And I held that for three years until I became too old to, to play in the band anymore. And I suppose that was a, a story of, of leadership and growing into my first leadership role with a real hard knock along the way. And I felt that I was in this position where I was leading a team with no manual to read and I just had to get on with it. So as a 17 year old in a leadership position, I suppose the default position was to, to lead by example, play the solos and step up and take all the praise. But actually I realized that the guys beneath me were probably enjoying the same difficulties that I had done two years previous and will benefit from the levels of support, which quite frankly, I never got. So instead of doing things that 17, 18, 19 year olds will do, kicking a football around, making nuisances of themselves in the free time, we'd be putting in the hard yards in the rehearsal room. And I realized then that this idea of developing other leaders was really, really important for me. Mm. And it's only recently that I've reflected upon that and realized that it's exactly what I and we do today. Yeah. I just thought yeah. I'd share that story with you because it's a nice no, way to it's start Fascinating. And it's, uh, it, it speaks to something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but our experience of being in teams, being the thing that like teaches us how we then go on and, and run teams or lead in the way that we lead. Um, you said a couple of things in there that I found super interesting. Uh, the, I mean, the, the first is uh, who chooses tuber over rugby? That's a, <laughs> that's not that's not what I was expecting. It might be because we talked to a lot of sports people on the on the pod, but uh, uh, hooray the artists! <laughs> Um, but what I wanted to dip into, actually, is this idea of kind of where the leader sits. Because you talked about a couple of situations where you were leading from the top and also leading as a, as a peer. Does that factor into your work and, and, and how you train? Is that something dynamically that you're including or you think is valuable for leaders? Or is it something that you try and position them slightly differently? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And that's one of the reasons I, I shared that story with you, because what we try and do on our leadership development programs is not lecture colleagues about becoming leaders in the future. We actually give them the opportunities to step up mm. and for us to nurture and develop, let them lead, uh, do the quality assurance, offer feedback, give action plans. And I think that's all part of what we were just talking about. You know, it can take three, four, five times the amount of time to do that, as opposed to just preparing some material and delivering on a stage. But the rewards are many times more than three, four, five times, because it's actually talking about developing the leaders of the next generation. So that's, that's a huge part of what we try to do. And as I said before, you know, where that's come from, it's kind of developed itself over the years as, yeah. as the programs have developed. But then when I reflected back to the stuff I was talking about with the music, I realized that there's a deeper route than that. And it actually goes back between 20 and 25 years, certainly in my own life. It is something quite challenging to accept, actually, the qualities of leadership that you don't normally expect or are put to the forefront. So we sit and we go, OK, leaders have a certain uh, authority or certainty or something actually that vulnerability and ability to sit in their wrongness or they're not knowing is 
an equal part, but kind of the scary part of being a leader. It's easier to be a kind of a, a bully grown up leader. But are you actually leading in an effective way? Yeah, spot on. I think that's that's a that's a great analogy, and I, I agree one hundred percent. I mean, I could take it one stage further with the music as well, because uh, you know I, I reflected further on what happened after my experience as a teenager with regards to leadership and and teamwork, and I thought I'd share that with you as well because it's it's pertinent to the question you've just asked and also to to the bigger picture, you know of of great teams and leading great teams. I mentioned um, previously that I, I chose Manchester University over the traditional Oxbridge route, and I'd never regretted that for a minute because actually Manchester was the place not only where my dad had gone to university, but also where at the time the best brass bands in the country were, were operating. And I'd always had that aspiration to play for the very best, despite that setback that I told you guys about, yeah. I still had the dream to be the best. And in my first year at university, I had the chance to audition for the band, which was called Fairies, but not spelled as we would spell it. It's <laughs> F-A-I-R-E-Y-S. So uh, after the Fairy Aviation Factory, which is in Stockport, um, and this was the best band of the 90s, and they actually had the best bass section as well, the tuba players well-known you know across the country and i had the chance to audition for this band and i was fortunate enough to pass the audition and, and get in to take that spot in this band and it's a very niche thing this brass bands and certainly at that level but it's so relevant to everything we're talking about and i've just jotted down here three three qualities i felt at the time that Reflecting now, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about, but I realised just how important they are. This idea of fitting into this team of leaders who were off the scale good. Because, of course, the first thing was I, I, I thought I wasn't good enough. Uh, in fact, I knew I wasn't good enough. However, how, how does this resonate with us as leaders? And, you know, reflecting on, on, on the number of colleagues I've worked with over, over the years, this lack of confidence in our own ability and, you know, I've got to remember and I have to remind people often that if you're put into a position of leadership, it's because someone believes that you can actually do the job and do it really, really well. And I remember having to keep telling myself this very same fact at this point because I really didn't think I was I was good enough. And in fact, I'd replaced the best player at that time in my position in the country. And here I was trying to fill those boots and potentially add some, some more value. So. The first thing I learned was that it's really, really important to fit in and not stand out. Don't be that maverick. I mean, how relevant is this to sport, to education, to music, whatever context, but you have to fit in. You know, obviously still have the room for individualism and bring that sparkle of magic when it's required, but we've got to talk about the we, the us, and not the yeah. I. And in this musical context, which again, seems to tick this box massively in terms of explaining it. I had a propensity, should we say, to play a little bit loud, which meant that I could stand out a little bit. And my mum, who might be sat on the third row from the front, would hear me. And she'd say, oh, well played, son, that's great. <laughs> Actually, what she should have been saying is, well played, you all. And yeah. the team are the people who should be taking the credit and not an individual. And in fact, you know, 
I had to learn to listen. I was sat with three incredible musicians on my, my left in this team. So I had the best sound recognition, if you like, of them all, because they're all pointing towards me. I still have a tinnitus in my left ear from my time in this band. But the point is that it needed to be a, a continuous brick wall of sound. That team needed to sound in one all the time with no gaps whatsoever. And, you know, a very, very powerful unit. And again, you can just see the, the analogy there to so many things that we can relate to both personally and, and professionally. I think the second thing I just reflected on was this idea of knowing knowing your teammates, knowing each other inside out. And the fact that during that experience, we weren't best pals, but we knew each other inside out. And even at the very highest level, everyone has challenges and areas of weakness. So acknowledging that and knowing how to seamlessly cover those with no one knowing what was actually happening. And in fact, again, just reflecting, I remember that none of us took any praise for covering each other's backs. And we never talked about it except to ourselves because no one else actually knew what we were doing. And I thought, wow, I really am part of a special team here. These are the sorts of qualities you might never see written down anywhere, but so, so important. And this all feeds into leadership too. And I think the third thing for me I've written down here is this, this idea of never being content with anything less than the best version of yourself and yourselves in the team. And, and in, in that musical context, uh, it was perfection. It had to be perfection because uh, the small margins that I was referring to when I was coming back from that, that significant knockback as a kid um, are massive gains. And, and certainly in a competitive environment, the difference between you know 194 out of 200 or 193 out of 200 can be the difference between winning a European title and coming second. And so it's massive. So I, again, I just thought I'd share that with you because I think it's it, it's quite quite relevant stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, hello, Gareth. Hi, Sean. <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, good, thank you. Good, good. I'm in. I'm in, enthralled by all of this musical um, musical themed chat, and uh, quite surprised actually because it's not what I thought um, we may be discussing. Um, and that's why I love doing this podcast uh, because you never know what's going to quite come up. Um, we done an episode, a very early episode, with uh, Lizzie uh, Boyce from Rogue Symphony. And if you're not aware of them, I would definitely check them out. There's a modern twist on uh, on orchestral uh, kind of bands and stuff like that. And we always kind of want to have musicians on for all of the reasons that you've just mentioned, because we can talk about sports teams and we can sport, talk about businesses. But those musicians who have a passion for, for what they do, but they need to bring that together and need to perform when it matters you know, it has to come together on the night, a, a lot like with, um, with Mark and drama, you know, in performances, it's like you rehearse, 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 and then you have to deliver, um, you know, and there's different levels of delivery and, and, and what your kind of quota is for yourself. But, um, but no, I just found that really, really interesting. Yeah. There are, there are fewer more on the nose metaphors of harmony than an orchestra. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also I just think, uh, FIFO is a, is a phrase that, that we like to use. I'll allow you to guess what the second F is, uh, when we talk about fitting in, but yeah, perseverance, failure, small gains, um, supporting each other. All of those things, I'm sure, are part of your program and about kind of making really good leaders. 
So I just think I wanted to touch on on now, you know, this is where GRJ comes in, I think, um, you know, because you are constantly working with these leaders in education. And I just want to know what that program looks like and kind of what has come up from from the work you've done with those leaders, basically. Well, let me rewind back a little bit and just tell you perhaps how it all started and, and where it's where it's grown from. I, I mentioned 2014 in the introduction as the time when I, I took over leading the program. It was very locally based. It was based in the northeast of England and we were engaging with round about 10 to 15 schools at the time. It was all collaborative. So the idea that schools would send colleagues in middle leadership positions to our programs to develop themselves as, as better leaders, but to also work together with colleagues from other schools, which wasn't really the norm, if I'm honest. And there was still a, a very strong and healthy element of competition in the region. And there always should be, quite frankly. But what I wanted to do was to get people to work together a little bit better, to experience and talk about some of the challenges that we all face in our schools and some of the exciting stuff as well. And it took a while to break that mold, but I firmly believe that after two to three years, we'd, we'd managed to do that. We gradually expanded uh, regionally to the Northwest as well. So we included some of the schools from the Northwest of England. We're now gradually doing the same again southwards. So we're into the East Midlands this year. And I mentioned Scotland in the introduction and from the 1st of January, 2021, we've also expanded into the whole of Scotland via the Scottish Council of Independent Schools with a similar related programme, but obviously adapted for a slightly different audience. So it all started with aspiring a new academic heads of department, which developed into experienced and ambitious heads of department. We wanted to keep pushing the boundaries in terms of what we were offering. And then we got to this year, which was right in the middle of a lockdown and me thinking about perhaps developing GRJ education and a couple of the guys who were on what we call the level two program, which is the one for the experienced and ambitious heads of department. Mm. That will be Matt who featured on your podcast and yep. also Dan King from Woodhouse Grove School. They both challenged me to come up with another program, which was for aspiring and new senior leaders. So we're now in a position where we've got a complete suite of programs ranging from level one, the new and aspiring academic heads of department through to level two, the experienced and ambitious heads of department through to level three, which are the new and aspiring senior leaders. Mm. And that covers academic, pastoral and co-curricular. So it's a complete spectrum of leadership. And we're absolutely loving it because yeah. here is a program that essentially is scalable, both in terms of geography and indeed country, regionally, nationally, internationally. But at the same time, it caters for leaders at all stages of their career with that same mindset that we're actually going to develop them as leaders now yeah. and not just tell them how to be leaders further down the track. And given what you've said about that sense of imposter syndrome or confidence to lead in that first level, is there a, a mindset shift that you have to engineer or that you have to encourage from the, I am solely a team member to, I have a responsibility to lead. Is there some, is there like an explicit matrix, red pill, blue pill, where you kind of go, are you in 
take this pill and all of a sudden you're a leader. Like what, what's that threshold to cross? Yeah, it's a very good question. And, and it's certainly not an on-off switch, is it? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, I, re I reflect on my own time starting out in leadership. And, and I've mentioned several times in, in this podcast, this idea of, you know, having no rule book and no manual and mm. almost finding out the hard way. So what we tend to do with these guys is put them into some quite difficult leadership scenarios for collaborative problem solving, even at that level one, because what it does is it gets them to think as leaders, but in a very, very supportive and confidential environment. You know, it almost makes the exercises enjoyable and fun as opposed to what they might be in real life when one encounters them for the first time, you know, in a yeah. difficult situation, for example. So where in education, they can be quite challenging and quite terrifying, yeah. really high stakes in some of those cases. Absolutely, 100%. And I think that's why it's important, you know, to know that the team which is leading, you know, I, I talk about we here, I have a team that works with me in GRJ Education, a wonderful yeah. team, and I'm sure we'll make reference to them later. But the guys who are with me who are stepping up to lead the programs are able to nurture and develop and encourage some of these people who aren't even there yet in the career trajectory and do that in a really positive and supportive way. But also for these people who are stepping up, for them to understand that these are people who do the job now and they do it in a very, very real context. You know, they're not removed from the coalface at all. Yeah. And the program is very real. Gareth, how... At that first level, how hard is it to kind of remove ego and almost self-promotion on that on that course on that program? Because I think it's a I think it's a genuine question, um, a genuine thought. Where I've been on forums and I've been in discussions with peers, and it becomes a bit of a this is how good I am. This is what I do. This is you know this is what yeah we that do. measurement next to your your colleague or your other yeah, player or your, exactly yeah. you know rather than i'm here in an environment where i want to share knowledge and i hope you can help me and i hope i can help you so do you, does that get addressed um within that program yes i think it does i mean we, we we obviously favor the latter and not the former on on our programs because i've mentioned the word collaboration and this is what it's it's all about and i think the fact that there is some history of this being the norm makes it easier for people to come on board with that mindset quite quickly. I've referred to my leadership team and teams. We're all of a pretty similar, humble mindset as leaders in so much that we do collaborate. We share some quite personal stuff, difficulties we've had, a lot of the scenarios that we write for these people are scenarios we've endured as leaders and perhaps not done so well. Yeah, right. And I think that that you know, air of humility carries an awful lot, especially with some of these people who might be on that pedestal, as you refer, refer to there, Sean. Um, if, if I reflect on the past six to eight years, I would say actually that that was more of a challenge at the start when schools were still in that ultra competitive and still are ultra competitive yeah. environment, but were not collaborating in the way that we wanted them to. Particularly in the independent school sector where it's a marketplace as well. 100%. But I think, you know, with, with the reputation and I suppose the fact that many colleagues from the same school may have been through the programme in previous years and now it's a new wave of people coming through, people kind of know what to expect. And so, you know, the odd occasion we do encounter people who are on, on the pedestal as part of our programmes, they, they quickly have to join in line 
because you know the the vast majority are with us in terms of what we're trying to achieve and the support we're trying to give each other you know i talk about people stepping up as leaders on the programs themselves to lead breakout rooms or workshops or to actually lead sessions themselves the idea is that we get behind them in yeah. those positions and we encourage them and if they you know if they wobble for a moment or they don't quite get it right it's not a problem we pick them up yeah. and we all move forward together and that's a great environment to be in i have to say and doesn't it relate back to some of the stuff we were talking about with music absolutely i was thinking i was putting it straight in my drama context and the the chap that we chatted to on the last podcast said it as well as a young person they and i will also admit i had an opinion of our abilities within the skill set within the craft that we were working that felt high we felt good at what we did <laughs> For me, I felt like I had to be in a leader in those rooms. You know, you're playing lead roles and whatever. But what I didn't do well was experience being held. But when, when you mess up, when you as the leader go, I've hit my limit or I've hit a challenge and then let the other people around you in that room go, it's all right. That's quite a challenging thing for that for that ego leader to to not be the 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 keystone or the like the the linchpin of the room and to let other people kind of support you. So to give them that environment where this is you're probably going to mess this up and it's as much about experiencing that team around you all going yeah no that's why we're here as it is about knowing the right answer to the situation, if, if that makes sense. No, 100%, Mark. You know, and I'm relating this back to what I was talking about, you know, with regards to that knock I took as a 15-year-old. Mm. Um, no one was really there to pick me up. No one knew how to pick me up. And even though it was probably subconscious at the time, I knew I was thinking to myself, if I ever get the chance to work with others who are probably going to go through the same thing that I'm going through now, then I'll do it. And that's the thing that stuck with me. You know, because we all take those knocks as leaders and, and it's very difficult sometimes to get out of it when you've no support. And this is exactly what we try and achieve now. It's brilliant. I love it. Definitely. I think um, I think great leadership has to come from a great culture. And I think maybe the leader or the leadership team can create that culture or the culture can be created by everyone involved in it basically it kind of either work I think I think I'll get my first sport analogy in there today um, <laughs> and just uh, you know I think modern day coaches are having a team around them and they're bringing that team with them that wasn't always the case you know there was this holy grail leader that went to a club went to a football club or a rugby club you know and that was it and you know the rest of the staff stayed there but they were going to change everything and I just don't think that's the case, whether you're a head teacher or whether you're a senior leader or a head of department, it has to be all of you together, I think, to make a change. I think often seeing it work is, is, a, is a valuable kind of way to change that. If you watch it work once, if you kind of experience the, I'll often call it the warm and fuzzy, like of collaboration, if you feel supported, that's an instant game changer because a lot of the times that hesitation or that nervousness comes from feeling like you're out on a limb or feeling like you're doing it on your own or you're holding responsibility in an uncomfortable or a, a too great a way. I agree. And, you know, we, we've not even touched on it yet, but the idea of trying to do that digitally obviously brings with it fresh challenges, yeah. which is where we've been since, since lockdown. But actually that's been something I've 
absolutely loved because you know it's been a massive challenge to get it right and to build a formula which has been effective in doing everything we've just been talking about but we think we've got there yeah. and that, that's been a real achievement in tough times to think about that third level the aspiring senior leaders and heads and such you mentioned for yourself when you hit that position there was a threshold do i want to become a head teacher and i know that in a lot of educational environments the path from the first day of being a teacher to being the head teacher of your own school can sometimes feel like a fixed path like there is a promotion chain that you will go up and for you you interrupted it on that third level you're meeting people at at that point where it's like do i want to be ahead and it's often the point that takes you out of the classroom as well is that something that you're meeting them before after or kind of during that decision making process i think when we do our introductions i i, I certainly am very open and honest about my own career trajectory and you know I'm, I'm quietly proud i suppose of the route i've taken and and not been afraid to challenge that stereotype if you like you know the traditional route which goes through from head of department, perhaps to an assistant head, perhaps then to a deputy head, and then yeah. into headship. It's making people realize that there isn't a problem to challenge the norm if they yeah. want, and to do things a little differently. But if they do want to go down the traditional route, which the majority will, they're to be supported and nurtured and encouraged in doing so. That's what we're here to do. So I think it's explaining to folk that there is always more than one way to keep on progressing your career in education. Mm. And I accept that I'm very much in a minority here, but I don't regret it for yeah. a moment. And, you know, as I said in the introduction, when talking about my, my career to date, I suppose, I'm loving every minute of this. Uh, and this yeah. is without having touched headship at all. It's it's such a, because I'm married to a teacher who's been a teacher for quite a long time. And the prospect of leaving the classroom was one of the most challenging parts of that promotion pathway. And I think it comes down to constantly reevaluating why you're in education, I guess, why, what it is you're trying to get out of being in this school environment or college environment for us. With all of that being said, and I think that we've got a huge amount there, and I think it's, you've got a really interesting background as to how you've got to this stage now, um, and we really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Um, for our audience, what are some key takeaways that you can give us for leadership uh, that you found, uh, obviously, in your program, working with hundreds of, of, of different uh, teachers, um, and just in your general kind of experience? Well, where do I start on that, Sean? I've got to list the top three, I suppose, haven't I? Well, yeah, just, just, if you could just solve leadership for us. <laughs> that would be great. Well, some, something which features in, in all the programmes that we lead uh, is to talk about questioning and always start with the why. And I think that's one massive takeaway I would take away from this with regards to excellent leadership. Whenever you are questioning, you must always either ask yourself or ask others, why first before you ask the how and before you ask the what whether you're talking about communicating a difficult decision or answering your own questioning or indeed even in a letter of application always ask the why first it comes from simon sinek golden circle leadership but what i would add to that as a caveat is that it's a professional or not 
a personal context and I want to share this with you because it is quite important. I spoke about my dad briefly and me losing him last summer and I remember in a moment where I was struggling that a nurse actually sat me down and she did what nurses are trained to do which is to make you a brew and have a chat, ask you what you do and I told her about all these sorts of things that we've been talking about and she said I bet you're asking yourself why now aren't you? Why am I like this? Why am I angry? Why am I upset? Why is this so unfair? And actually she said forget it. In a personal context it doesn't matter one bit especially in those sorts of difficult situations and that's something I passed on to my kids very quickly after that moment when they were about to lose their grandfather. Not to worry about why they might potentially just have a wobble. In a professional context it's very different and I think it's so important to start with that but in a personal context I think it takes it to a whole different level yeah, so that's one thing I would start with with leadership the second thing I would say is never fear the unknown you know I've entered into this new world of educational leadership development it's a business it's something that I went into with a high element of risk and not really knowing what was around the corner but I've embraced it and I've loved every single minute of it. One of my heroes that I may make reference to in the coaches make coaches, Bruce Lee. Mm. And his mindset, his philosophy is one of the most powerful I've ever heard. Using no way as way, having no limitation as limitation. And I interpret that as, you know, when the chips are down, push on and push on strongly. And don't be afraid to be different. It's one of the questions you were asking me there, Mark, about the traditional trajectory to, to headship. And I think it also reflects back to a lot of the things that I've been talking about with regards to my own musical experiences. And as a part of that, in terms of not fearing the unknown, you've got to accept that you're going to have some wobbles along the way. And the only way you can get through those is to surround yourself by supported and trusted colleagues. And I'm very fortunate to be in that position. I think the third thing I would say, and this is based on, on working with and developing literally hundreds of leaders over the years and seeing firsthand the sorts of experiences they have and the sorts of self-doubts that they might have, and I include myself there, I'm very open about that, is to never assume that everyone else is better, better equipped, better informed to do the job than you, or just better than you but to have confidence in your own abilities to succeed. It's huge. It's, it, it's, it's huge. And I remember to reflect on it personally myself, I got offered like an internal promotion and I, like, I spoke to the person who was in the office opposite at the time. I said, I have no idea how to do this. And she said, well, like <laughs> the smart people don't hire for ability. They hire for potential. Yep. They're looking for the things that aren't happening right now that you have the potential to create and focusing on not, I can do this, but I could do this became a huge, became a huge shift for me where I'm like, no, potentially I can do great at this. How? Yeah. Uh, we have a question we ask everyone, uh, Gareth, just to kind of round out our chat. Uh, we like to say coaches make coaches by which we mean the kind of leader we are is learned or developed from the, the leaders that we've experienced, uh, whether it's directly or indirectly. Um, so for you, who are the, who are the leaders and the, the managers and the coaches that have made you the kind of coach or teacher or leader that you are? 
Great question. I think I've worked with some fabulous people in the educational world over, over the many years and far too many, if I'm honest, to name individually here. So actually the two people I'm going to give you are, are from outside the educational world. The first is someone I made reference to in, in the takeaways and it's Bruce Lee. I spent a lot of time in Hong Kong and my best friend there, Danny Kwan, actually changed his WhatsApp profile just recently to include a phrase after which was in Japanese and I asked him what, what that was and um, he said it's Bruce Lee's philosophy, it's his mindset, using no way as way, having no limitation as limitation and I just thought that's in incredibly powerful. I think the second person I would mention, and it's no surprise that it's someone from the musical world and he will not be known to anyone or to very few people who may be listening to this podcast and he's a chap called Jeff Harrop and if you don't mind I, I would like to tell you a little bit about Jeff again it will resonate I think with a lot of the things we've been talking about today he delivered equipment to butchers by day in his battered old Ford Granada but at weekends he was probably the best player in any brass band in my mind ever to have lived. He played the tuba, no surprises there. He was my hero as a kid growing up. And eight years later, he became my teammate in that bass section that I told you about, that bass wow. section at Fairies. Not just a teammate, but a roommate and a great pal. And I think he's the one, Mark, you were talking about the belief there in yourself as a leader and others believing in yourselves. He was the one who gave me that self-belief that I could fill the boots of the best player in the country and potentially add further value to that. I don't think I ever quite got there. And I asked him once, directly, <laughs> as you do, you know, how do I compare? Come on, tell me straight. How do I compare? And I remember it, and I've written it down here, and I'm going to share it with you because I think, again, it's highly relevant. He said to me, you're a better player, but he played better. <laughs> And this is from someone who delivered equipment to butchers by day and drove around in his battered old four Granada, as I said. He'd never read a manual on leadership. He probably didn't even know what it was, but that's what he said to me. And I just think that is brilliant. So the best bit about this is that he didn't realise what a massive influence he was on me as a leader. Yeah. And he was also someone I refer to when we were talking about covering each other's backs. So yeah. on stage, there were things I couldn't do. For me, it was playing high notes. He will play the high notes and he wouldn't tell anyone. I wouldn't tell anyone, but we'd get away with it and we'd still win the competitions. He will get nervous on stage and he'd occasionally have a wobble and I knew I had to cover for him. And that was part of the mutual trust, understanding, respect. But he was undoubtedly my biggest influence and he won't even know I'm telling you this, but I'm oh, certainly Jeff, gonna let him know you're afterwards. legend. <laughs> Lovely. We, and then the, we, la the last thing we ask yeah. is, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Is there anything you want the uh, listeners to know about? How do we find out more about GRJ? So in terms of finding out more about what we do, well, we have a website, www.grjeducation.com, which goes through everything that we've talked about in more detail. But I think perhaps to make it more personal, I'm very happy indeed for colleagues to connect with me directly on LinkedIn. 
my profile Lovely. is GRJ Education. And if people would like to come and just experience a little bit of what we do and join in to see what we do this year before committing to the programme next year, potentially, we will be more than happy to welcome you along. So please get in touch. Amazing. Wicked. And we'll put links to all of those in the show notes so that you can uh, click directly there. Uh, thank you so much, Gareth, for coming on. We really appreciate your time and your insight. You've come up with some gold there that uh, I'm certain our listeners will find useful. We always like talking to the educationalists, being college people ourselves, but I think there's stuff there that you can apply whatever industry you're working in, even if you're in an orchestra. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gareth. Really appreciate it. And I just think the power of kind of connection, you know, we've now had three people on the podcast who are all kind of interlinked and are working together. And, uh, you know, that triangle is, uh, is awesome. And uh, look to continue to stay in touch with you guys uh, and connect and, and hopefully work together. So that would be awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Gareth. Really appreciate it. No, listen, thanks for having me, chaps. And it was a pleasure, actually, because in, in preparation for this, to be able to reflect on a part of my life that I'd actually not done for a long time, I then realised how much it was resonating with what we're trying to do now has been great. Yeah. So thanks for letting me share that. Really, really enjoyed that episode. Um, as I said, I think... When we get a guest on who works with uh, senior leaders um, and uh, kind of middle management, they, they're kind of speaking on experiences that other people have had as well. Mm. So it almost kind of builds up a bigger picture and it's almost like getting an opinion from more than one person because Gareth is, you know, working with these people all the time on, on, on his course um, and, and, and training up these people. Uh, and I think that that's really important. Um, and as I said, you know, the people that he's working with are people who are really ambitious and who really want to do the best they can within their team, within their role uh, for themselves and for their career. Um, you know, like in the case of Matt and in the case of Danny, uh, who we had on previously as well, these guys really are looking to do the best they can within within their environments. Um, and I think that's really powerful. Um, and I think that the work he's done with the peership kind of on the course where it is people learning from other people yeah. uh, is really, really important as well. So no, I think it was a great episode, really experienced guy, uh, Gareth, and, uh, you know, wealth of knowledge there. And it was just really enjoyable to get that take. I know that you didn't feel it at the time, Sean but I was glad to hear someone choosing the arts over sports indeed rocking the, tu rocking the tuba and the orchestra rather than the rugby absolutely not that it's a choice everyone but like when you do have to choose it's nice that occasionally someone chooses the arty bit absolutely yeah I mean that was a direction I wasn't quite uh, thinking that we'd go on with Gareth actually and it was a really pleasant surprise yeah. so, va um, so valuable to kind of hear about that the, the impact the effect of challenge and, you know, oftentimes we're kind of the maxim gets repeated, oh, you know, we learn from our failures or we learn from, uh, you know, what doesn't kill us, make us stronger. Like it was really fascinating to hear someone be really clear about how that failure or how that challenge had positively impacted them or where it had taken them and how that now is a massive part of what, what they do and what they teach. Yeah, I do feel like 
Gareth was really open and honest with us, um, and and this we really do appreciate that from from our guests, uh, especially you know around that kind of uh, the band situation, um, you know, and, and and not getting not getting that 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 role within yeah. within. I the love band the I love that around. phrase he used as well that he got from his mentor or the guy next to him about like <laughs> yeah, you play better, but he's a better player. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Really, <laughs> that's that, proper. That's proper, Mister Miyagi wisdom. That is <laughs> exactly wax on, wax off. Yeah, that was uh, no. That was that was a great line. Um, but but as I said, you know, Gareth is connecting with a lot of different people within education uh, and brings a lot to the table. And uh, I think we just really appreciated him giving us his time. Yeah, and it's good to see like where where particularly at the moment education can feel like quite an isolated or isolating. Uh, experience as with a lot of stuff you know teachers thrive on company on being in full rooms uh, so it's, it's it's really great to see kind of the work that people are doing to try and maintain or improve upon that sense of collaboration in teaching definitely so uh, thank you Gareth for coming on we've got some really exciting people coming on in the next few weeks some of them education lists some of them very far from it which is really exciting um, if you have anyone you want us to get on or you want uh, us to try and track down let us know you can let us know by emailing us Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show you can let us know by adding us on Instagram or Twitter at noipodcast uh, you can let us know by uh, dropping us a line on LinkedIn and uh, we're loving it over there it's where we're getting a lot of our guests so uh, you can contact us connect with us send us a message we love it we want to hear from you Um, links to both mine and Sean's uh, profiles are in the show notes so grab them and let's let's connect let's collaborate Uh, that's all for this week other than to say thanks everyone for listening we really appreciate it it keeps us going and it's lovely to hear from people who have been surprised by the pod or been inspired by the pod. It's certainly surprising and inspiring for us every time we do it. Uh, So thank you everyone for listening and uh, keep on doing it. If you want to recommend us to a mate, that would be awesome too. Uh, All that's left though is for me to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye guys. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.